You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. 152. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth all sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people, resulting in praise to all his faithful ones, to the Israelites, the people close to him. Hallelujah. The second reading for today is found on page 1043. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And lastly, we'll... All right, you know, one of the things I love about our church, it's one of many things I love about our church, but one of the things I love, and I think it's probably born out of the fact that we have a very uh, diverse congregation in so many ways, very eclectic mix of people. Uh, I love the fact that we have no allegiance to any political party or any political persuasion. There are people in this church 
you know, invested members of our church who would disagree on all manner of political issues. And I love that. And that's the way the church should be. Uh, I had someone comment recently uh, after hearing the first three sermons in this series that they found it interesting that we started with this very um, conservative sermon on the fact that people who are same-sex attracted are called to singleness and celibacy. That's kind of seen as a conservative, kind of right-leaning position. And then the last two sermons were on how we should love and care for prisoners and refugees. And that appears to some people to be a kind of lefty thing to believe. And uh, I, I just don't care whereabouts on the political compass any of these things fall. I have no allegiance, left or right, um, because I'm a Christian. And our politics is the kingdom of God. And our constitution is the word of God. And so with all of these issues that we're coming across, our only objective is to hear what God has to say about it and to reform our lives accordingly. That's the whole idea. Um, Sermons are insufficient to cover, or any one sermon is insufficient to cover all of the complexities of these issues. As we come to creation care today, I don't have time in one sermon to go into all kinds of, you know, the complexities that exist around climate change or uh, renewable energy, sustainability, poverty that comes about as a result of degradation of the environment. All of these things are way beyond the scope of this message. Um, but I do have a very clear objective in mind. Here's what I know. Again, going back to the diversity of our congregation, I know that there is a spectrum here this morning as far as um, consciousness and concern for creation goes. And there are some who are very invested and very conscious, very mindful and committed to the preservation, conservation of creation and others who just don't really care at all about it. And let me, let me illustrate this. Um, let me illustrate the spectrum here. A few weeks ago, I took my kids and then one of the neighbor's kids out for a walk. Um, Renee has cultivated such good relationships with like every single person in our street that um, that we just get tag-alongs all the time from kids who, you know, want to hang out with us. Um, so I took these, this uh, neighbour of ours along with our kids. We went for a, a bike ride actually down by the creek and uh, we ended up at the ice cream shop um, uh, somehow. And um, I emptied both our bank accounts to get everyone an ice cream there at, down at Augustus. And then we were on our way back home, again going down by the river and this... Um, neighbor's friend who we love very much I don't mean to throw this person under the bus but um, just as they finished up their ice cream just grabbed the cup and threw it into the bushes and the look on my kids faces was just like a mixture of just like they couldn't comprehend what they'd just seen mixed with like righteous anger at what they'd just seen and I forget, whether, I don't know whether it was India or Judah, it could have been either or both, who just said, like, what are you doing? Um, and this kid's response was just like, Meh. shrug. Like, uh, and I think, I think they said, nobody lives here. Um, it doesn't matter. And 
I could be wrong about this, but I've, I feel like I've got a fairly good finger on the pulse of our, our community, Caroline Springs community, when it comes to this kind of thing in particular. And I think that shrug is representative pretty much of the, of the local community when it comes to these things, the conservation, preservation of creation. There's a general sense, and you can see it with the amount of rubbish that is everywhere, that that's kind of the generally held belief. Now, there are people in this congregation this morning all along that spectrum, from indignation for every piece of litter dropped through to the shrug of the shoulders. My objective is really clear this morning. I want you to be like my kids. Um, only because I think in having that way of living in the world, they are reflecting God's will for his people. My objective is for you to have a look with me at the scriptures and the whole big storyline of the Bible and come to the conclusion that every Christian should be a conservationist and that the degradation and exploitation of God's creation is sin. Like actual sin. In the same way that adultery is sin or... I don't know, you fill the blank. That the degradation and exploitation of God's creation is sin and sin to be repented of. So, does that sound like fun? The way I want to do this is by referring to something that if you've been around for a while, you're familiar with this way of framing up the whole storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That The storyline of the Bible kind of happens along a plot line of, of, of four acts. You have uh, creation and fall and then redemption and restoration. I think I got a little graphic that will illustrate that for you and I will refer to this as we go along. Creation, fall, redemption and restoration. If you have this in mind, it's a really helpful little key in interpreting where you are in the Bible in whatever passage you're reading in the Bible. And the point is that though the Bible is written 66 different books, written by thousands of different people over thousands of years, there is one thread, one plot line, one big picture story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. You can, it's all right, you can come and... I mean, this is, I, I see this as a kind of open space for anyone who wants to come and crawl around, so just feel free. Now, there are many different views uh, among Christians, Bible-believing Christians, sincere Christians, many different views on how the world was created. But every Christian knows that God did the creating, right? The world is made by God. He did it. It was his idea. God created it, and so creation is his. It belongs to him. That's one thing we can all agree on. Creation is the Lord's. Everything in it belongs to him. Let me give you a couple of passages. Psalm 24. The earth and everything in it the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Why? For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. 
everything is his because he made it all. There is nothing that is that was not made by him. And so everything that is belongs to him. There is no, not a single square inch of creation over which Jesus can't say, mine, mine. Deuteronomy 10, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. And then from the New Testament, from Colossians chapter 1, that this, this very important hymn or doctrinal statement of the early church, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, just everything. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He made it all. He sustains it all. It's all by him and for him. And God not only made all things and rules over all things, but he declared all things to be good. Genesis chapter 1. You see that at the sort of climax of creation. God saw all that he made and it was very good indeed. We live in a good world governed by a good God. The creation story of the Bible shows us that everything that there is belongs to God. I love the fact that there seems to be, and this is, again, this is just anecdotal, but I think you probably agree, there is a growing concern for creation care. That's the way we refer to it as a church because we see the world not only as nature and certainly not as mother nature, but as creation, something that God himself is over and cares for, loves and brought into being. And there's this growing sense in the community, I feel like, that, um, that we ought to preserve this creation. Some of it is sparked by a concern that things are going down fast, climate change and these kinds of things have prompted us to do something. But I think generally speaking, there is more of a sense of a conscientiousness to care for the creation. And if you don't see it in your peers here, you will definitely see it in the kids' room this morning because kids are very much like passionate about the preservation of this world and shame us in many ways, I think. We saw in the, the, the last federal election there was this surge of the, the teal parties, which I'm right on board with, right on board with, right? So it's, the, it's blue and green, it's a, it's a kind of conservative, economically conservative approach um, at, mixed with a green agenda. The, the, the uprising of the teals. Love to see it. So there's this increase in general in concern for creation, but I think that Christians have the deepest, the most profound reason 
to be concerned about these things, far more than people who don't have the kinds of theology that we do, don't have the kinds of um, understanding of the value of the world that goes beyond just the fact that it's pretty or that it's productive. We have this reason to care for the universe, to care for the creation that goes beyond um, mere secular commitments. We have a mandate that goes to the very heart of the Creator Himself. I went recently to the launch of a book. Um, uh, Judah and I went along. Judah is a, just a huge conservationist. Oh, here we are. It's me and Judah in the city. He was the only kid, like he was the only one under about 30, I think. Um, and it was a very kind of... Um, it's, it's kind of like if you want a picture of the, a classic kind of inner city, lefty, greeny type of person, that was, that was there. Um, we were there for a book launch. The Great Forest um, is the book, and it's a really beautiful book written as part of a whole campaign to get the government to recognize the Great Forest, which basically encircles the, the kind of northwest to northeast part of Melbourne, out of Melbourne. Um, the Black Spur and, um, uh, anyway, Mount Nash Forest, um, for them to make it a national park. It's just, a, a, it is nonsense that it's not a national park and that it's logged heavily. It's just insane. Um, anyway, we were there for the book launch and there were people there speaking very passionately about the cause to make a national park out of this precious ancient forest. And and I leaned over to Judah at some point and just said, I want to get up and preach. Because there was a lot of passion in the room, but there wasn't a lot of depth. There was a lot of anger in the room, but it didn't seem like there was much that, was, that went beyond a kind of surface level concern for the creation. I had depth to add to this discussion. I had ancient theology that roots concern for creation in something beyond just the here and now. That's what we have as Christians. It's interesting that, as I was kind of fishing around for a quote to give you to solidify my position here, I landed on Billy Graham, of all people. And here's what he said about this concern. Why should we be concerned about the environment? It isn't just because of the dangers we face from pollution, climate change, or other environmental problems, although these are serious. For Christians, the issue is much deeper. We know that God created the world, and it belongs to him, not us. Because of this, we are only stewards or trustees of God's creation, and we aren't to abuse or neglect it. He goes on. When we fail to see the world as God's creation, we will end up abusing it. Selfishness and greed take over, and we end up not caring about the environment or the problems we're creating for future generations. That's the truth. Now, the reason that we fail to care for creation, the reason that we abuse it and degrade it, the reason that we cause problems for future generations is sin. And so we move from creation 
to fall, the fall of humanity, Genesis chapter 3, the fracturing of the world and of our relationship with both God and his creation, this is the reason that we don't care. This is the reason that we continue to plunder God's good earth for our own selfish reasons. At creation, before the fall, God establishes for humans three relationships that they are to cultivate. Relationship with himself as their creator. He wants us to cultivate that relationship. Relationships with one another as his creatures. He wants us to cultivate relationships with one another. And relationship with the creation itself that was given to us to be stewards of. Those three relationships we are given from creation before any sin comes on the scene. We're given those relationships to cultivate, to pour ourselves into. Now, at the fall, all three of those relationships are fractured. They're broken. Let me read from John Stott, who is just amazing when it comes to this whole issue of creation care. John Stott, the great John Stott, someone I want to be more like. Um, And a great book, if you're interested in this kind of thing, um, a couple of people put together and edited a whole book just on John Stott's Theology of Creation Care. It's called Creation Care. I got a copy. You can borrow it from me if you like. Um, But if you steal it, God will judge you. All right, here's what he says. He says, all three relationships that I mentioned there, all three relationships were skewed by the fall. Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of the Lord in the garden. They blamed each other for what had happened. And the good earth was cursed on account of their disobedience. So the fall is something we need to understand if we're going to have a good theology of creation and creation care. The fall is the reason that our relationship with God is broken, that our relationship with one another is strained, and the reason that our relationship with the earth itself is in disrepair. Hosea 4, this is really interesting. Hosea chapter 4 on the screen gives us these three things together and, and speaks of how sin has, has affected each one. It says, the prophet Hosea, um, uh, prophet Hosea, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. For this reason, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky. Even the fish of the sea disappear. In each verse, God, humanity, and creation itself. This is the effect of the fall. It has skewed, it has fractured those three relationships that God has called us to cultivate. And so we need to be in the business of healing all three relationships, maintaining all three relationships, cultivating all three relationships. What I see in my tribe of Christianity, my kind of flavor of Christianity, is great mourning over the loss of relationship with God. 
significant mourning over the loss of relationship between one another and almost no concern for the loss of relationship to creation. Almost nothing. This is a problem. We Christians, if this is true, if what I'm saying is fair, then both our degradation of God's creation, our active plundering of His creation, and our failure to see it as a problem are sin. The result of sin, sin that needs to be repented of, like today and then every other day. Both our active exploitation of God's good creation and our failure to see that it's a problem is sin that needs to be repented of. Now, again, I I just don't have any time to go into much detail on any of these points but listen an example of this sin it's very clear to see and 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 you know what there's always someone who wants to argue about these things but just very clearly we can see that the the biodiversity of the earth is being massively negatively affected by human beings by the way that we live biodiversity just means the the plants and the animals the bacteria and the fungi that ought to be there in a certain amount of abundance are not there and it's because of us. So the, the, just look at it this way, right? The, the, it's estimated that the natural rate of extinction for plants, animals, fungi and bacteria, the natural rate of extinction is about one to five species per year. If everything was working well, then that would be a, the natural rate of extinction. The actual rate of extinction is between 1,000 and 10,000 times that as a result of the way that we live. 1,000 and 10,000 times the amount of extinction. So that's about an extinction every hour, a whole species extinction every hour. So if it's true from Psalm 148 that Mel read for us, that everything is created to glorify God, to worship God, including plants, animals, bacteria, fungi, and we are destroying, like absolutely snuffing out a whole species of those things every hour, then that is a problem. That is something that angers God. He created these things to worship Him, and they're being rubbed out. And they're being rubbed out because of our conscientious commitment to serving ourselves. Creation, fall, it's all very bleak, and it is very bleak. There's no way around it. It's a bleak picture. I'm not calling for any kind of panic, because I believe that Jesus is Lord over all things. But we ought to be concerned and we ought to be repenting. There is hope. Creation, fall, redemption. Redemption 
It's a very Christianese kind of word. It's just that it's a technical term from the ancient world. Redemption happened if I went to a slave who was owned by someone and I bought them. I paid the price for their release. That was I redeemed that slave. Redemption is the price that is paid to buy someone out of slavery. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the redemption of his people. The price paid to buy you out of your enslavement to sin was Jesus' own precious blood. And because it's so precious, because it's so valuable, it was enough to buy everyone who trusts in him, everyone who throws himself on his mercy to buy them out of slavery. You can stand here and just say, I was once lost and now I'm found. I was enslaved to sin and now I have been set free. I was a slave and now I'm a son, all because of the blood of Jesus that redeemed me. Now, one of the criticisms some people have, well-meaning Christians have, about a sort of what they see as an inordinate investment in creation care is they say, well, it doesn't, it's not the gospel. Sure, it's good to do some nice things here and there, so, you know, things outside of the, the core calling of the Christian, but the, the, the Christian is concerned fundamentally with the gospel, and I say that's just a false dichotomy, my friends. This is the gospel. Jesus died not only to redeem his people, but to redeem the whole creation. You say, why, why would Jesus, the precious blood of the Son of God, why would it be shed for dirt? Well, because God's plan of redemption from the beginning was for the whole creation. God's plan of redemption is for everything good that he has made. Let's look again at that reading from Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15 to 20, he is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Next, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Most of us have too narrow a view of what Jesus achieved in his death, burial, and resurrection. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through his death, burial, resurrection, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Everything. 
Jesus' death is bigger than probably any of us have come to terms with. Our self-centeredness drives us to exploit the earth and our self-centeredness drives us to see his death as for me rather than for all things. It doesn't even stop there. Redemption, yes, but not only redemption. Redemption isn't the end of the story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Final restoration, the renewal of all things. This is God's big picture plan for the entire creation from eternity past to eternity future. Christ died for redemption, but ultimately, fully and finally, for restoration. And the restoration, just like the redemption, is not just of me. God's big picture plan for the universe is not just that I would receive a resurrection body, but that creation itself would be resurrected, restored, renewed. God's people and God's creation. Romans chapter 8, remember this? We, we went through this really in depth last year. Creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. This is back to the fall. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. That's shocking. Especially if you're from the Western Christianity that makes everything about me. I get the fact that God is committed to me being set free from bondage to decay, glorious freedom. I get the fact that God has a resurrection body and an eternal life for me, but what about the fact that it is God's creation as well that gets enfolded into the glorious final triumph? That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. This plan of redemption and final restoration is not just for us, but for God's good creation. And therefore, we must care for God's good earth. If God not only loves it and cares for it because he made it, but also is committed to its final renewal, resurrection, restoration, then how can we not, those of us who want to have hearts after God's own heart, be invested in caring for the creation that he has made? It's impossible. This is a central part of our discipleship. And it's only... Uh, non-Christian dualism picked up from Greek philosophy that makes us think, well, no, I just need to invest in my soul and in saving others and the, the world can just burn. 
nonsense. That's a prevailing opinion of the church over time, particularly since the Industrial Revolution, the last couple of hundred years, and it's nonsense. And we need to repent of it. God created and loves his world. It belongs to him. Our mistreatment of the world he has made is sin. Jesus died to redeem the creation. And he calls us to work with him for the restoration of all things. Now, there are about 10,000 things that you can start doing today that will mean you can better cooperate with him in the care and conservation of his creation. And again, I don't have time to go into them now. I wish, I wish we could spend the rest of the day just chatting about this. There are big things that you can do and there are 10,000 little things. I read recently an essay by the, the American writer Wendell Berry, and he mentioned the fact that very often we are guilty of inaction when it comes to something as massive as the, the crisis of our environment. The, 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 the kind of global degradation of the environment means we end up doing nothing because we feel like there needs to be a sort of correlative, massive response. The, the, the damage is huge, and so we need to come up with this huge, incredible, massive plan to deal with it, and so we end up being paralyzed by it and we don't do anything. But he said, rightly, actually, the response happens in every person's home. The response, the right response, happens in everybody's backyard. It happens through 10,000 daily decisions. I know some of this is hard, and I know for sure that some of it is expensive. I'll tell you, yesterday I was in the, in the supermarket with Judah. It was his birthday party yesterday, so we are buying some stuff, and we needed to get some uh, wet wipes, you know, like baby wipes. And I, was, I, I promise you, we were there in the, in the aisle for I don't know how many minutes, and and I, the reason I was paralysed is because I'm, I'm, I'm of Scottish heritage, which means I do not want to waste a cent of my money. Um, and there were, there were wipes that were really cheap, and then there were biodegradable ones that cost about 30% extra. And I've seen, because I care about this stuff, I've seen photographs of whole rivers choked just by baby wipes that contain plastics and stuff. Whole rivers, almost destroyed by baby wipes. And so I was sitting there and I was like, Judah, this is hard, man. Like, I know I, we both agree we need to get the biodegradable ones, but it's like a buck extra. <laughs> and, and I'm pleased to say that by the power of the Spirit, we, we bought the biodegradable ones. But that kind of decision needs to be made 10,000 times over and it's probably going to cost you some money. But... <laughs> My point is that God is calling us to costly discipleship, whether it's a commitment to celibacy as a same-sex attracted person or visiting prisoners in their cells or opening your home to refugees or making decisions for the preservation of God's creation. These things are costly, 
And that's what discipleship is all about. It's costly. You've got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So I just encourage you, I, I'm thinking about maybe running a couple of seminars on this kind of thing, which we can dis, you know, open up some more discussion on this. In the meantime, if you're in a small group this week, either say, I'm doing nothing, help me, or say, I'm doing this, here's what you can do. I'm running a you know, composter in my backyard, whatever it is. Just share some ideas um, and, and we can help one another as we seek to follow Jesus together. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good world. It is majestic in its beauty. And yet so often we take it for granted and more than that, we exploit it. We deface it. Please forgive us for the ways in which we have vandalized your artwork. Please call us by the power of your Holy Spirit, each one of us now who has the Spirit of God residing in them. Please speak to us now. Convict our hearts of the truth of your word. I pray for real repentance, real reformation. We want to be on board with your mission in the world, your eternal, beautiful, triumphant message and mission of redemption and restoration. Please use us here, Lord. Show us how we can get on board. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.